Thank you very much, Rabbi Feldman, for your kind and greatly exaggerated introduction. The topic I was given this morning is somewhat multifaceted. The tuition crisis, the Pew Report, and the future of our community. It's a mouthful. Let's take them one at a time. The Gemara tells us in the Sechtar of a bastard of Chafalaf Amad Aleph. Biram Zachar also Yish Latov Yeshua ben Gamla Shmo. Remember a great man named Yeshua ben Gamla. Shilmalehu Nishtakach Torah Mi Yisrael. Were not for him, Torah would be forgotten amongst the people of Israel. One who would have a father who has a biblical responsibility to teach his son would do so. No father would not learn. The initial enactment was to have teachers in Jerusalem. What happens if a person couldn't reach Yerushalayim? Skip a little bit. Tikun shiu Yeshua ben Gamla tikun shiu Moshevin belamde tinokos bechol Medina Medina ubechol ir veir from the tender age of of six. The students would come to study Torah. This enactment. Not only a Talmudic statement, it's found in Shulchan Aruch, as we shall see. And Tulsa says, the very bottom Tulsa is discussing class size, 25 more. That if the requisite numbers exist in the community, that in an ideal community, the members of the community can force one another by the communal structure to pay for these services, for these schools, so that every child should have an opportunity for a Torah education. Baba Basra, Chaf Aleph, Ahmed Aleph. I'd like to show you how it's found in the Shulchan Aruch as well before we put away this forum and discuss other matters. The Ramah in Simon Kuv Samach Gimel and Choshen Mishpat writes as follows: B'Mokom Shebnei Ha'ir Moshivin Beneim Malamet Tinokos Ve'Ein Avian Shal Tinokos Yochol Liskol of Neim. Let's talk straight. The father can't afford the tuition. V'Itzarcho Hakol Itanatzchar. There's an assumption, not even just assumed, that the obligation falls upon the community at large. It's only a question of how do you apportion this obligation. Says the It's not per capita. Not everyone shares the burden equally. It depends upon the financial situation of each and every member of the community. Remember, in those days, which are not all that distant, the Ramah himself lived in the, in the 16th century, but it continued 
through the pre-war era in Europe, when there were organized communities, there was a leadership that would assign responsibility of a financial nature. What we call today taxation. <laughs> Our communities no longer have that power. But if the TNAC government asks you to pay for a real estate tax, you can't, it's hard to argue with them. So was the local government, autonomous local government of Claudia And they would tax you based upon your, your net worth. And so too we call Tzorka here, Af al pi she'ein, she'miktsosan einon srichin, kagon beis chasnos o mikveh v'chadome, afilohachi srichin liten chelkon. No person can say, my family no longer needs a mikveh, I'm no longer making weddings, oh let's get to our situation, I no longer have children of school age, and therefore I'm exempt from this responsibility. No such thing. There are no exemptions. It's a community responsibility. Either this farmer wanted a quote before proceeding with my remarks. Sorry. Is there a tuition crisis? Absolutely. What precipitated this crisis? Not expert in economics, but it seems to me that the rate of tuition increase in the past years far outstrips the rate of the rise in income in our communities. Both have gone up, but not proportionally. So you have individuals who, a generation ago, were able to make do and pay tuitions. Today they're unable to do so. Because tuition is very, very high. I know in this community, I'm not going to get involved in it, there's a an attempt to make a somewhat more low-cost alternative in terms of tuition. I don't claim to know much about it, but I understand where it's coming from. Just the, the, the prices are simply too high for the average family to afford. It's a crisis. And, and I know what I speak, there are situations where couples are having smaller families because of the tuition crisis. And that's a national crisis. Not just an individual cannot afford to get his children through school. He's not having children because he's projecting a financial shortfall. This is not good. Any community which wants to grow cannot have this crisis uh, curtail the growth. It's a very, very serious problem. So how do we solve it? You didn't come, I didn't come here. You can expect with a comment to say, yes, you have a crisis. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? Number one, in the absence of our ability to go back to the formula of the Gemara Baba Basra and the Ramah and Choshen Mishpat, in which case there's no such thing as tuition as such. What kind of tuition? The community needs a facility to educate his children. Whether you have a child or children is immaterial. You figure out how much money you need. You go to the people in town, you figure out how much they're worth, and you just tax them. But a utopian, I am not. Although, 
that's the way it should be, based on the Gemara. That's why I read you the Gemara, and I read you the Tosis, and I read you the, the Ramah. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. Rabbi Feldman gave me many titles, you know, this, this, all these titles and a hundred times more, and great, Marabana, much, 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 much greater than myself. I don't think I'm able to restore this kind of a community uh, taxation which would uh, obviate the problem. So being a somewhat of a realist, we now have to say straightforwardly that having our population, obviously whoever made up my title understood a connection between these three things, having our population curtailed by the inability to pay tuition is an unacceptable phenomenon. We cannot accept it. And the only way out is that the yeshivas, despite the fact that they are unable to tax community members, have to give what we'll call large tuition breaks to families that cannot afford to pay the full tuition. As simple as all that. Of course, again being realistic, there are parents who say, I don't have... And yet, you look around and you see that they're spending money on what we call luxuries. Unacceptable. But the precise definition of what's a necessity and what's a luxury is subject to different factors. Yes, there is a concept of a standard of living. It's enshrined in halacha. Based on the Gemara Subis, when a couple marries, a man is required to support his wife at the higher of the two standards of living that the two of them grew up with. So Chazal were obviously aware of various standards. And yes, every community is somewhat different. But nonetheless, there's an average, and there are things which go beyond. Very expensive houses, a constant influx of brand new automobiles. These are luxuries. Individuals who indulge in them, at the very least, should be paying full tuition. It's much more than that, really. But if you are in the unfortunate position of being on a tuition committee, and if you are, I, uh, I don't envy you, if you're trying to strike a, di- a difficult and delicate balance, there has to be a line somewhere. I notice the argument in various co- committees and various communities about summer camps. Some co- com- you send your kid to summer camp, costs a lot of money, I can't give you a tuition break. Others say, no, it's a necessity, what are you going to do with the kids? They run around the streets the whole summer, it's not going to work. I'm not going into these details. And then there's the other phenomena. Family goes, on trips, you know, there's a winter break, they go to Florida, there's Pesach, they go to a hotel. <laughs> Such tremendous expenses and you're not paying full tuition. Very often it's a counter-argument. I can't afford this. Zaidi's paying for it. The grandfather wants all his children together for Pesach. He plays all the air tickets and all the, and all the hotel bills. 
Well, he's the one that takes them maybe to, to, to Florida in the winter. Well, the Zaydi should be told, first pay your grandchildren the tuition. And then some, given your means. But once again, we don't have the ability to compel that. So what do you want from the poor fellow? You're saying, you have to pay full tuition because you spent Pesach in a hotel. I didn't pay for the hotel. My, my father did. My father only did. Tell him to pay for the yeshiva tuition. I'll tell him. He doesn't listen. So is he required to stay home on Pesach and have a fight with his father or with his shver who insists on spending the money that way? I don't think so. But I'm just giving you examples, a couple of examples of how delicate things can get. And, let's not forget, how do we define a community? Rishul ben Gamla. Every city had its own system. How do we define a community? We're sitting here in Teaneck, New Jersey. Do we define Teaneck as only being in Teaneck? I'm not completely familiar with every last child in this community, but I understand that many are in school in places called Englewood, or maybe Paramus, maybe just over the border in a very large school, which I think is on uh, Kindercomac Road. I'm not sure what the municipality is over there. Not giving any... I'm just mentioning. So we, we can no longer define ourselves by a city line or a town line. I believe that the community that we're describing, and then an abstract, where we could compel the financing of the schools is the community in which the children that live on our block, in our, in our shul, in our general range, where they're studying. Maybe you want to call it Bergen County. Don't know. Just giving examples. Even the definition of a community today is not so simple. And this leads me to our, my final point on this matter. We've heard this from Rav Shech, the Shlitter, on more than one occasion. That in reordering our stock of priorities, we have to give first priority to the needs of our communities. Not merely as the rabbis have put it, but, how should I say it, a yeshiva moved into my community almost 30 years ago. And I spoke about it on Parshas Mishpatim. So that's for the post of Ani I said, from now on, a yeshiva in our town, they have a, a status of Ani Every Every yeshiva is poor. So you have to first supporting your own, be supporting your own yeshivas, which will somehow alleviate to some extent the tuition crisis before doing other very important things in supporting Torah and Eretz Yisrael and, and, and other valid charitable institutions as well. That's what I have to say about the tuition crisis. Again, every t- I'm talking about three topics in a short period of time, so you forgive me for being somewhat brief on each of them. Now you move to the Pew Report. By a show of hands, who here has read the Pew Report? Wow. 200 and something pages. Uh, Judah Diamond, who we thank as being the dynamic force behind the Torah, sent it to me on, on an email. I read part of it. I can't say I read every, every page. Uh, it's a major report describing the present and future projections of the Jewish community in the United States of America. It's very simple 
to make a very long story of hundreds of pages very short. What the Pew Report reports is that the demographic future of every subsection within the Jewish community is directly related to its adherence and its passionate embracing of Torah mitzvahs. Not the words they use, but that's what comes out clearly. So therefore the, the non-Orthodox branches are hemorrhaging, or if you will, redefining, counting as their members individuals who by halachic reckoning are not really Jewish. Again, that's not the topic for today. Whereas, within the Orthodox community, where the adherence to Torah is stronger, there is an uptick demographically. And let's explain what, what, what it's all about. We face the twin threats of people, as they call it today, leaving the derech, off the derech, assimilating into outside society. And the logical result of that, which is massive intermarriage. These phenomena are relatively new. Particularly the second one. If one looks back and historically, let's, let's measure time starting from the end of, of World War II, 1945. Well, let's before that one find in the American scene, where we're not kidding ourselves, we're not revisionist historians, significant majority of, of Jews in America were not observant. Very strong majority. Yet intermarriage at that time was a very, very small phenomenon. A mere she'en matzi. It was numbered in single digits. But all that's changed in a relatively short period of time. What led to the change? Not being a sociologist, I'll venture that until that time, Jews lived together in their respective urban ghettos. They studied together, if they weren't observant, in their public schools and public colleges. And they married each other. However, after the war began to flight to suburbia, where people were in mixed communities, there was a new phenomenon of Jewish youngsters sent away from home to university campuses of all types. And it's almost inevitable, almost inevitable, that we now speak about Rahman al-Islam, the majority of Jews intermarrying. 
nothing holding them together. We just read Parsha Shmos. Before that, we're reading in End of Rashis. And the Jews in Mitzrayim were in a ghetto. They were in Goshen. Self-imposed. Arranged by Yosef Atzadik. And they were separate, as Chazal tells us famously, in their language, in their dress, in their names. This is what maintained them, even if they were sinking into the impurities of Mitzrayim. Rav Tversky Shlita succeeded in speaking for a, a, a significant period of time without mentioning anything by name. For those who have to understand what he was he's speaking in code. But I'm not as sophisticated and I want you to make sure you get my message. I'm not sure if you all got his. I'll tell you straight out. The Orthodox community is divided into various subgroups. That we heard already. But none of them were named. Not even one. But I'm speaking at the Pew Report. So I'm not, I'm not the Megala, so the Pew Report spells it all out. It's all there for you to read in 200 plus pages. And they describe even the subdivisions within the Orthodox community. They talk about Hasidim. But a capital Ches. We should all, halavai, we should all be Hasidim. The small Ches. That's a Halavai, Halavai. It's someone who goes to Fnim Yeshua Sadin, goes beyond more than he's required to do. But it's a group called Hasidim. Those who follow the Baal Shem Tov and his, his followers. They are the group that continues, continues to this day, to be separate from the world around us. Remember today is December 25th. Completely separate from the world around us in their dress, in their names, and in their language. They speak Yiddish. They dress differently. Well, there are differences within the Chassidim, but they're all different than the average American Western dress. And they all have Jewish names. And therefore, as the Pure Report reports, they are in the ascendancy, demographically. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Paru, Vayishetsu, Vayirbu, Vayatsu, We just read it last Shabbos. Very, very high birth rate. Then they talk about the, what they call the yeshiva community. Another term that they use. Again, with the various divisions. They're, yes, they have Jewish names, almost, almost to, the, to, to the man. Many have secular names which they use in their businesses. But in, this, in, the, in, the, in the communities they go by Jewish names. Their dress is much more comparable to Western dress. And they generally speak the English language. So they're not quite at the same uh, level in this respect as the Hasidim. But still, still, they're somewhat segregated. And that is a group which they refer to in the Pure Report. I'm only using it, I'm just quoting it. Something called modern. The modern slice within the Orthodox community. I'm not saying the term is a good term or a bad term, I'm just quoting there, let's be honest, there's no difference in dress, 
There's no difference in language. And, and often there's no difference in name either. Therefore, a danger exists. And yes, within these groups, there are, we'll call them so-called ghettos of residents, and I think that Teaneck can proudly uh, view itself as one of the main such communities, with so many wonderful things happening in this community. Unfortunately, forgive me if I, it sounds like a little bit of Musser, but I feel compelled. Unfortunately, even in communities such as this, where notwithstanding the tuition crisis, every Orthodox family sends their children to Jewish schools until grade 12, and many sent to Israel beyond that. But after that, Many send their children age 19 to university campuses throughout the country. There, without appropriate preparedness, they are subjected to the two great threats to their remaining proper Jewish children and growing at the proper Jewish adults. I recommend a pamphlet. I've mentioned it before. It's called Orthodox Assimilation on University Campus. Authored by, some of you may know the names from here, Gil Pearl and Yaakov Weinstein. Make sure you get the original edition. They had a there was some censorship later on. Read it. And you'll read about the twin threats. The Chazal speak of a Mesech de Brochus. We all say it every day in Davening. And examples are given for a particular professor. Who has led many astray in perhaps the number one university in this country who lose their amuna, lose their faith their faith in Hashem and their faith in Torah Misenai based on his articulate presentations to the contrary which they are unable to assimilate and to to ward off that's Achrei Levavchem the university campuses today are, are don't trust me just, just figure it out from, just, uh, from the various reports the permissive nature the promiscuity is rampant It's a grave danger even to those individuals who went to school for so many years in yeshivas. To summarize what the Pew Report is telling us, we have to learn from it and look reality in the eyes. I'm discussing now the Orthodox segment. The others are beyond us for today. By the much, much greater 
birth rate and lesser rate of attrition, the Hasidic community and the yeshiva community have emerged from being a very small sliver of the Orthodox community at large in, in 1945 to becoming a dominant majority. And the Pew Report confirms what, uh, what Marvin Schick had written about, about earlier, that if you're looking to project into the future, and the only way to project the future is to count children in school, the Hasidim, again, these are all approximations, are about half within the Orthodox, what they call the Yeshiva world is a third, and what they call the modern is a sixth. Confirmed by the Pew Report. If you look carefully, 17-18% of the Orthodox population. Okay. I'm just giving you a reality check. So what about the future of our community? How do you define our community? We heard so eloquently. It's very, very important to realize fundamentally, Klai Yisrael is one community. If you wish to define, quote-unquote, our community as being one which is more connected to the outside society, then we really have a crisis on our hands. Not of our own making. I repeat, not of our own making. We may be no more open to society now in 2013 than they were in 1953, 60 years ago. But society has changed. Even if our openness is the same, but society is unrecognizable. You know, I grew up in the 50s, a nice block in Queens, and there were family values. There were Jews, there were only two from Jews, there were none from Jews, there were non-Jews. There were intact families, parents and children. Look, we're not going to deny the fact that things were done wrong, but outwardly, that's how it was, family values. Since then, some say it began in 1960 when the so-called, quote, revolution began, based on various pills and other phenomena, not going into that right now, these family values were destroyed. The promiscuity became the rule rather than the exception. And more than that, in recent years it became a matter of principle. People called upon to defend every type of activity, everything which the Torah prohibits, from adultery, to gay marriage, everything now is defended as a matter of principle, consenting adults, why are you stopping them, why are you being so harsh and fundamentalist? And unless we separate ourselves from these new realities, with force, with passion, that we have nothing to do with these things, we are headed to the brink of disaster.
We learn it to Hillim. Vayisaru vagoyim vayilmadum yimaseyem. This has always been true. But as I mentioned a minute ago, even if our hisarvus, if our intermingling is no greater than it was 50, 60 years ago, but the maseyam are much worse. This requires a greater separation. And therefore, if you're looking at the projection, the future of our community, if you define our community as a community that's open to the influences of secular society, as opposed to others in the Orthodox community that have closed themselves off, the picture is bleak indeed. And yet, I believe that if we strengthen ourselves, we're able to maintain a community which has a certain measure of openness to the new realities, provided that we are aware of the dangers they present and take appropriate precautionary measures. Just an example. Internet. So in some circles, can't, you just can't do it. A recent pronouncement was made, I'm not sure of its accuracy. Anyone who owns an iPhone is disqualified from testimony, calling it to question the validity of marriages and divorces. Again, I'm not sure if there's any accuracy to it, but I'm sure of those who are on the internet can find it out. <laughs> if you don't want, someone will print it out for you and give it to you in a hand on paper. So even those who are accepting of a, rea- of a reality that these phenomena, such as the internet and all the various social media, you know, the, the whole list is something we're not able to completely take out of our lives, even if you'd like to do so. Okay, but take appropriate precautionary measures. I spoke already years ago, what I called an Easter Yichud with the internet. Because if a person is by himself, he is sometimes tempted to do wrong things. Chalila, we can lead ourselves to a situation that the Chazal called in their fascinating phrase in Gemara Brochus, Maya Sehaben Velo Yechto. We're putting our youth in a situation where it's almost inevitable they're going to sin. Please look up the Gemara, you'll see the details. I don't want to mention them specifically. But on the university campuses, it's a literal fulfillment. Literal. Literal fulfillment of putting children at risk. I think it's irresponsible. So what to be done? My son was explained to me his sociological explanation of why our yeshiva, yeshiva university, yeshiva college, yeshiva hasn't grown that much over the years. How can it be? Just keeps, you know, how can, what happened? So in his words, what do you want, he says. One third of our population goes in Aliyah. 
just to the tremendous credit of our community. One third of our community is fearful of all the external phenomena of which you just spoke. So they become part of a more, we'll say, call it a yeshiva community. Won't send the kids to. And one third, we're left with one third. That's how he always put it. Let me take it one step. I want to divide it into four. And, and I'm most worried about the fourth, which I alluded to earlier. And one of our very distinguished Rosh Hashivas met the Shabbos here in this community, not this block, this community, and came back crying that many alumni of our own yeshiva are sending their children to these same university campuses of which I spoke, which their parents either couldn't or wouldn't send them in a time when it wasn't so dangerous. And now the desire to... I'm not even discussing, as, he, as this Rebbe quoted to me, leave out the allure of an Ivy League education, which I'm not doubting its value, but you have to weigh the cost-benefit. No! All the universities, without mentioning other names, not, <laughs> no great shakes, no ivory towers. Kacha! That quarter worries me the most. Not that they're on pitfalls in Eretz Yisrael. And as was mentioned before, other segments of the community have their own situations. My time is up. I want to tell you the bottom line with which I started. The way to have a future is to strengthen ourselves in Torah, strengthen ourselves in Yerushalayim on the one hand and, and this of course the two are related to stay away from the negative influences of society on the other hand and yes these are the two midos of Yaakov Avinu the founder of, of our people as a people Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Oholim the primacy of Talmud Torah is represented by Yaakov Avinu, together with, of course, the Yerushalayim, the mitzvahs, the Gemilas Chesed, all that we are required to do in our communities. And yes, by Yishkon Yisrael, Betach Bodod Ein Yaakov, read it under the Torah, then the Tziv explains there and in many other places, that Yaakov Avinu is the one even while he was in Mitzrayim, he maintained certain separations. These are the twin goals that our community must strive for if it wishes to be somewhat more connected to the outside world. Yes! But it must be with a, a passionate attachment to Talmud Torah. And I want to say that I've been a rabbi and a shul now for just about 40 years, it's hard to believe. And there's been a tremendous uptick in devotion to Talmud Torah. When I came to the shul, there was one Harus that we learned before Shachris. Now we have four Daf Yomi Shul, a very small shul. Hashem. We have to look at the bright side. We have to do more. You know, in every generation, there are crises. And we dare not be discouraged. Take Mitzrayim itself. Vachamushim alu b'nei Yisrael meretz Mitzrayim. 
Chazal say that means four-fifths were left behind. So if the Pew report tells us that that's what's happening now, it shouldn't shock us. But here's the question. Where will we be? We and our children and our children's children. Which cohort will we belong to? The 80% that fall away or the 20% that remain strong? Yes, we can be optimistic if we learn the lessons. Large families, reasonable standards of living, solutions to the tuition crisis, creating a society committed to Talmud Torah, to Gemilas Chesed, to Mitzvahs, and a sufficient separation, whatever that is according to each and every person, but a sufficient separation from the negative aspects of the, of the society which surrounds us. It's my tefillah that if we do so, that our words which we say, or certainly should say, with such feeling, every single morning, and halavai, the one people, Kulanu, all of us. Yode Shmecha, Velom de Sarasecha Lishma, Advias Gaul Tedek from here of Yomenu Amen.